Mixtapes with Mike is now working in partnership with Black Circle Records, an independent record store based in Leighton Buzzard. No money is changing hands, but we will be working together on some promotions, so it would help us both out if you would take a second to follow Black Circle Records on Instagram or click the link in the show notes to check out their website. Welcome to Mixtapes with Mike, the podcast where I invite a guest to make us a mixtape of 10 tracks without using the same artist twice. We're going to talk about each song, and if you like the sound of what you hear, you can listen to the mixtape in full on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. So if you're the kind of person who'd like a new mixtape every Monday, then you should subscribe. And it would be wonderful if you would take a moment to leave a positive review on whatever platform you're listening on, because that's something that helps me reach more people. But another thing that helps me grow the audience is word of mouth. So it would mean the world to me if you would take a second to share this podcast with anyone else who you think would enjoy it. Now, since I relaunched Mixtapes in May of last year, I have chanced my arm by approaching some very random people around the world through Instagram. Uh, I've talked to musicians, uh, I've talked to actors, artists um but this week we are going to talk to a dickhead that i went to school with um (laughs) this week's guest is musician podcaster and bloke i went to school with colin brown how you doing mate i'm not bad mate how are you i'm all right (laughs) all better for seeing you um it's uh I, i can only uh Thank you for your patience in getting set up for this episode. <laughs> it's the it's technically the third time we've recorded <laughs> this episode. Um, yes, because <laughs> uh, you you are actually one of the guests who, who we recorded on the very first run of mixtapes with Mike back in 2017. Yeah, uh, and w- we ran into technical issues then. <laughs> Just a bit. Completely <laughs> blanked on what to say again. I think you're a ginger prick. What have you got to say about that? That's that thing. That's a, it's a fair argument. There you go. Okay. <laughs> <sighs> I that ends up in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> did we, uh, did he record much of that or? We not know yet. You'll, uh, you'll get a gist of what's happening. Okay. Hello and welcome to episode six. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that might be the case. Totally expecting that, but no, that's cool. <laughs> okay, all right, okay. So, thankfully, we've come a long way since then uh, in terms of the standard of, of recording and production. Like, that was a digi recorder on my dining room table, and we got two songs into the episode before we realized that the batteries had run out. So, I then had to find the adapter, plug it in, get the laptop up and running again. 
And uh, yeah, that was that was the moment when uh, the penny dropped for Colin. But thank you very much for for braving <laughs> the podcast again. Ah, uh, I've, I've been looking forward to it. <laughs> well, you, you've been one of my sort of ardent supporters. Like when I when I started sort of relaunching episodes again, uh, I, I I could almost set my watch by getting a message from you at some point on Monday morning. Like so, the episodes weren't even out for that long, but I would get feedback. Yeah. Better or worse. Normally, the first thing I listen to on a, on a Monday morning when I'm going for a walk at like half six in the morning. That's uh, an early walk, mate. Well, I get woken up at six by a maniac, nearly five year old. So, uh, you know, that seems like a good time. Get it out of the way. Well, for, for a second, <laughs> I thought you were going to talk about your wife, but no, no, it's, it's, it's <laughs> no, your. She's infant, older than that. It's your infant child. Um, <laughs> You've got yeah, and you've got a bit of a sort of personal mission on the go with the walking. So why, why don't you tell me about that? Uh, well, I'm um, massively unfit, so I thought I'd try and be less unfit. And uh, I've, I've been trying to walk basically as far as America uh, by the by my fortieth birthday. So that's January next year. Uh, I've started in May last year, and I'm uh, just over halfway at the moment. Uh, and, um, you, and would you say that you're on track for for achieving your goal? Uh, I was, and then I was ill last week. <laughs> so um, I'm uh, I'm about twenty miles behind at the moment, but I should be able to make that back up fairly easily. Good man, um, good man. <laughs> so, for, for the benefit of the uninitiated, uh, I have known you since I was twelve, maybe something like that. Something because we, yeah. we were we were basically yeah, at high not, school together. Ninety four. Yeah, so we were basically yeah. at high school together, and. When it came time for picking sort of GCSE subjects, we both ended up in music together. Um, yep. And following on from that, we've we've kind of been orbiting each other in in various ways in our local music scene. Be that sort of open mic acoustic nights and various different bands. Um, yeah. You were one of the first people I shared my little secret solo project with before I entered yeah. Battle of the Bands back in 2007, 2008. I think it's 2008. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you 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 were my few co-conspirators <laughs> that I was just like, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Is this going to work? Is this a good idea? And you were like, yeah. Yeah, man. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> oh. Also, my first ever proper band was with you, even though we only did one rehearsal, um, which was uh, Chimera, uh, which was uh, me on drums, despite the fact that I couldn't play drums. Um, yeah, you and blatantly got, got blagged Green it. Day. <laughs> well, it's, you know, Basket Case by Green Day. How how hard can Trey Call's drums be? Quite hard, yeah, it turns out. It turns out. <laughs> it's just hitting things. Apparently you've got to hit them in time. I hadn't yeah. quite worked that out. So I did drum lessons for a little bit after that and then went, now I'm going to be a guitarist and singer instead. <laughs> and yeah, so like, yeah, we've been we've we've been playing gigs together on and off for the best part of, what, 20-something years at this point? Longer than that, probably. 23 years, I think, 22, 23. Jesus Christ. Yeah. And what one of my fondest memories is we were playing an acoustic gig together in Litchfield and you were playing a new song. Well, it was new to me called Murder Ballad. Yeah. And to, to, 
to say that that song is dark as fuck would <laughs> would be an understatement. But the, the the lyrics were so hilariously um, specific, morose, and sometimes graphic. <laughs> I, I, it, they were so preposterous. I found it so hilarious in the moment that I was corpsing in the audience as I was like listening. Yeah. And, and you were almost going whilst trying to sing the song. And how long is the song, Colin? Uh, it's about eight, nine minutes long. Something you like that. Self indulgent prick. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's my epic closer, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, because you wouldn't want to open with it because I think you might alienate a few people. <laughs> I've done that. I have done that a few times. Um, but yeah, you're right. Absolutely. So so Murder murder Ballad is essentially a, a story song about someone who is kind of becoming a, a, a murderer and sort of saying to himself how, uh, how famous and... Uh, yeah. What's the word... Notorious. No, to, he, he, you know the, the the proclamation is that he'll be notorious at some point, but he no. But the point is because because no one ever finds the body, he never gets the notoriety. Um, yeah, it is the most hilariously dark song I've ever heard, and yeah, <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I always introduce it as uh, claiming it's based on a true story as well. <laughs> oh dear! Yeah, that'll get you some funny looks. I bet you don't play that on your uh, on your cover nights in, when you play music in a pub. Not usually, no. And there was oh, there was one night when you were the entertainment at pub that I was absolutely shit faced in. Uh, yes, and I made quite I've the got... nuisance of myself. Yeah, came standing right next to me while I was playing and stuff. Yeah, some great photos from that one. Yeah, there are uh, the white, some white line. <laughs> so the point is, we we we've know, we know each other very well, and we've played a lot of music yes. together. Um, we've geeked out on music several times. Um, you've heckled me, correcting me uh, whilst whilst I I thought I was playing a cover, but it turns out it was actually originally by the other band. And you told me in the middle of my set, yes, because that was you were, when you introduced uh, such great heights as an Iron and Wine song. Because I thought it was. I didn't know any better. <laughs> and this, no, and this insufferable prick could have told me afterwards. Going, just so you know, next time, no, told me in front of the whole fucking crowd. Well, it, 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 wouldn't you prefer that to me shouting, "You're not Scotty"? <laughs> <laughs> fucking prick. Which is me and Ian's other usual heckle for you. Oh, <laughs> fucking it. We've, well, we look, mate, we've covered that on a previous episode. So you, yeah, I know. You've, I know. You've, uh, you've been beaten to that punch, dickhead. <laughs> so, obviously, I know that you're a massive music fan. You host two separate music podcasts, um, both very yep. enjoyable. But so I'm curious to know how you approach making your mixtape. Well, basically, I just threw a load of songs at it. Playlist and uh, saw what stuck. It, it's this is ten of my favourite songs ever. Mm-hmm. Some some of them definitely wouldn't ever change on the list. But like everybody says, narrowing it down to ten is so difficult because I could have done 
you know, a totally different list other weeks, but there, there would have been some of the same songs would have to be on there, at mm-hmm. least for the for the first one. Because um, uh, I'm planning on coming back, damn it. <laughs> yeah, come on. It's, it, only took, it only took me three years to get you back. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. In, uh, Hopefully it'll be less than that. But I've got an idea for the next one. In 2024, you're going to be right back there. Absolutely, man. A, a lot of people tend to do like songs throughout their life. We've I've had a couple of people do like the 10 favourite songs. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a mixture between both of those ideas and sort of, I think it flows quite well with the order that I've gone with. Um, you know, I, I used to DJ, but when I used to DJ, I used to not stick to a genre and, and go all over the place then. And uh, this mixtape does that. So you didn't agonise over like how it tracked and like you didn't curate it that way or...? Oh yeah, I, I I moved it around a bit to make sure that it flowed well. I mean, like the the last track couldn't really go anywhere else on it and, and stuff like that. Um, there are quite a few tracks on here that are opening tracks for albums, so uh, could have been. <laughs> so it's almost a themed episode, sort of, but not quite because there are a lot of others that aren't. <laughs> it's a themed episode, themed around songs that I have chosen. Well done. To put on a playlist. Well played, sir. Um, okay, so who's your first track by? My first track is by Can. Can are a uh, German band from, they started in the late 60s and were going till the, it was either late 70s or early 80s that they, they sort of split. And, um, quite a lot of lineups over the years, but they were they, they were part of the scene known as uh, Krautrock by some people or... Uh, uh, cosmish motoric music by uh, actual German people because they don't like people calling it kraut rock because it's pretty much racism, xenophobia. <laughs> but it's a genre name that's pretty much stuck. They were massively ahead of their time, um, super influential. They, there was a, one of my favourite records by them is a, there's an album called uh, Tago Mago, which uh, came out in 1971 but sounded like stuff that um, Stone Roses and, and Happy Mondays were doing in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, only better. There's, there's a track called Hallelujah on there that is absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, they're a band that I got into um, sort of the early 2000s. There was a, a, a scene in Tamworth um, called The School Club, which was uh, a, a bunch of club nights that, that my mate Glenn and various other people were putting on. Um, which were, it's one of the best sort of scenes I've ever been part of because it was all, um, basically it was was a a club night every sort of like three months or so um, at the assembly rooms, our sort of main main venue in Tamworth. And they put absolutely everything into it. They made sure that the lights were spot on, the music was amazing. Uh, they got like people passing around fruit and stuff and um, you know you'd have a mystery band would appear halfway through the gig they'd end the night with like a film clip from like some iconic film like Jules or something like that and it was just utterly brilliant and they, they played loads of stuff like Garage Rock and um, well, basically pretty much anything as long as it fitted the vibe which was really fucking cool stuff basically and um can used to get played a, a, quite a lot there. There was, uh, there was um, a track called Moonshake, which is on their Future Days record. Used to get played quite a lot. 
which I nearly put on here, but the track that I decided to go for, this was like their sort of, um, their attempt at a, uh, a pop single in the um, sort of uh, 1976, I believe it was. Uh, let's check, because I got the seven inch there. Uh, yeah, 76. Um, and uh, basically, yeah, it, it, this, this actually, that there are a band that previously did like 20 minute long ambient soundscapes for, for most of their stuff and they ended up on top of the pops because it's like the, the verses are sort of almost disco and then you've got this sort of instrumental chorus which sounds like a lost level of uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Yeah, I, um, I, I felt like it was almost soundtrack music for like like a 70s science show, you know, like a low rent yeah. tomorrow's world or something. Because yeah. it's got that kind of electronic instrumentation and it you know, it's it it's a really sort of it's a it's quite an infectious sort of tempo. You just kind of bop through yeah. it. And and then w- when that sort of chorus comes through, that little instrumental instantly I feel like putting my arms out like I'm pretending like I'm flying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, man. Because it's got that kind of sound, you know, like it. It that probably sounds like a really weird thing to the listener, but like it's hopefully when they hear it, it makes sense. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I I actually missed out on the Skull Club. I never got to go. I I, I wasn't aware of it at the time. I was off yeah. doing other, other things. Um, and then when I came back into the local music scene, the night wasn't happening. But yeah. the uh, the website and the and the local forum survived, yeah. and and that was where a lot of stuff in the local music scene would get talked about. Um, yeah. But the Battle of Band series that I entered uh, included yeah. in that, and quite often you would get Glenn and various other people writing little reviews. So yeah. if you ever played locally, you wanted to kind of log in and see what people thought. And yeah, yeah. It's and yeah. Forums like that—that that was like early social media because they, they would quite frequently descend into sort of combative conversations between multiple yeah. big egos in the local scene, which can be really entertaining to, to watch unfold as a spectator. Yeah, yeah. Like when uh, I mean, it was a little bit more on the the Tamworth Bands forum because uh, Skull Club was—it was a little bit more. It was a bit more specialised. So the yeah. people that were using it were a certain group of people who had certain ideas, and we all tended to get along and, you know, have, have similar kind of ideas of, of like, you know, what what was good and what was shit. Um, whereas the the Tamworth Bands forum was the one where there were absolute, you know, when uh, my band Lando Carissian won the Battle of the Bands, there was absolute fucking outrage on there and in the Tamworth Herald Letters page, uh, which was fucking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> people didn't like it when we went because we were weird. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and you continue to be. Um, well, yeah. Listening to you talk now, nothing about the way you describe Skull Club surprises me. Knowing who was behind it. Yeah, yeah. Because Glenn is was such a sort of uh, central figure of our music scene at the time. Yeah, yeah. And and there doesn't seem to be a music scene particularly in the town right now. I know that there are people playing, but obviously yeah. we've been robbed of live music in any any form. The Assembly yeah. Rooms, which is our big local venue, has been out of commission for the longest time. It reopened. I have seen um, that there is a new 
club night with live bands starting up that I had a thingy on Instagram for the other day. Um, although I don't know the band or the club where it is. Um, I've got a feeling that the, the club... Oh, I think the club is in the old um, Rockwell's, um, you know, the one opposite Weatherspoons. Okay. The upstairs one. Um, that's had loads of different names over the years. Um, so, yeah, hopefully that means that there are things going to be starting up again. You know, hopefully while, while people have been locked indoors for the last year and a bit, you know, maybe the, the music scene will get going again. But I don't know because it, 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 it won't be us that's doing it. You know, it will be people that, that are 25 years younger than us that should be. Um, you know, if it, if it comes back and it's all people our age, that's a bit sad. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like it, it's a, like you say, as it should be. It should be sort of pushed forward by the younger generation, and yeah. we just haven't maybe had the structure of a local scene to for them yeah. to kind of build upon because of just the circumstance of the last year. But yeah. uh, I absolutely yeah. see how this kind of music would end up being played at a club night like the Skull Club. Yeah. So this track is. Uh, this track is I Want More. Okay, so moving on from Can, who are we listening to now? Next, we have American Football which is um, the only kind of football I like is the band, American Football. Um, this is a, a record I was introduced to by uh, Rich Perry, uh, who runs Ignite Records in uh, um, Oasis in Birmingham now. He used to work at Tempest years ago. Mm-hmm. And like that dude has a superpower where he gets to know his customers, remembers what they like, and as soon as they walk in, he can recommend them something they will never have heard of before. And they will fucking buy it because it will be absolutely amazing and will change their life and be absolutely transcendental. Um, so, basically, um, he knew that I was into um, stuff like Mogwai and Explosions in the Sky, that kind of thing. But at the same time, I was also buying loads of like um, early emo stuff, like um, uh, Deep Elm Records compilations, like the emo emo diaries and early Jimmy Eat World and stuff like that. And this is kind of halfway between the two of them. And uh, it's a record that um, it was obscure as fuck for 15 years. So I I, I bought it in 2000 um, ish, I think. Yes, I think I bought it on. Uh, I've got a feeling it was on the day that I went in. I was supposed to buy a. Uh, I got all my birthday money and Christmas money together, and I was going to buy a guitar. And then went into Birmingham, went into Tempest, and spent all of that money on CDs. And then went. I'll have to buy the guitar later on um, because I'd come back with a stack of CDs, like you know, a foot high, um, like Trailer Dead as well and stuff like that. But but this was one of them. And uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd been listening to this record for years. And then this, um, they, they only put out one record um, at the time and then split up. But then they had a bit of a comeback 
um, I don't know, it was about probably four or five years ago now, um, and they suddenly announced that they were putting out a new record, and it was, um, I ordered it on pre-order, there were uh, 300 copies of the, the limited edition version. Then last year, well, no, the year before now, because COVID has stolen a year, so I don't know what fucking year it is anymore. Um, yeah, 2019, they, they put out their third record, and they'd grown so much that the limited edition version of that was limited to 1,500 copies. So it was obvious from that how much they suddenly, like 20 years after they they first um, put the record out, the first record out, they'd, they'd sort of built up this momentum while not even being there. And um, this particular song now, it's, it's almost like a meme. There's loads of um, covers and stuff online of uh, different genre versions. Like I saw a uh, really good um, 80s synthwave uh, version the other day. And uh, one of my favourite versions, because it, it is actually genuinely brilliant, is um, Scartune Network, which is it's a, a one-man band. So he's a, a multi-instrumentalist doing scar punk covers of various different songs and he's got a there's a record called scar goes emo um and he did a version of this on there and it's fucking great um but yeah finally got to see them live um at uh, a, a festival in uh, the roundhouse in london um a couple of years ago and it was great okay so this is uh this is never made Okay, so moving on from American football, who are we listening to now? Next, we are listening to Phoebe Bridges. Oh my God. You're the first person. Are you the first person? You've mentioned her a few times. I don't think anyone I, else has actually... I've mentioned played. her a fucking load. Yeah. Um, did, why do I feel like Charlotte Lombardi picked... No, Charlotte Lombardi didn't pick her, but we mentioned her because... Yeah, she did because of Arlo uh, Parks. She did a collaboration with Arlo Parks, who's another yeah. uh, singer-songwriter who I've been banging on about relentlessly for the last yeah. sort of few months. Apologies to you, the listener. <laughs> I have developed a little bit of an obsession with Phoebe Bridgers. It has to be said. I heard <laughs> Gordon's song because it was like one of the pre-release tracks of the Punisher yeah. album, and you know when a track just kind of grabs hold of you. And yeah. you you listen to it on repeat, and you're like, and and that develops into an obsessive anticipation for when the album drops. Uh, and when the album came out, like I I knew what day it was coming out. I'd kind yeah. of plan my day around it. I listened to it a bunch during the day, and then uh, I just kind of established this new routine uh, where I was going to be taking the dog out for like a late night walk, and. I listened to the whole album start to finish on this slightly longer than normal walk. Yeah. Uh, pitch black outside, headphones in, very atmospheric, uh, yeah. and just fell in love with that record. My my first listen of Punisher, I'd, I'd got the vinyl pre-ordered, so I'd got it coming through 
in the post, so I felt justified downloading it when it leaked a few days before. Because, mm -hmm. um, fuck it, I'd been waiting for it for two years mm -hmm. by that point. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, uh, my first listen was on a walk in a thunderstorm. Uh, which wow. Was pretty spectacular. Um, but this, this particular song is from her debut album, uh, Stranger in the Alps. Which, incidentally, uh, do you know where that, that title comes from? No idea. Uh, Stranger in the Alps is a it's the uh, TV edit from The Big Lebowski. So uh, the original quote was, um, this is what happens when you fuck a stranger in the ass. Um, they changed it to, when you find a stranger in the Alps for the TV edit. Um, <laughs> which she then used for her album, which is great. <laughs> it's so, brilliant, isn't it? It is good. I, I mean, I, I've acquired that album as well. Um, my, my wife will just... She doesn't even try to, to, to buy things uh, off on her own initiative for Christmas anymore. She'll just go, tell me what records you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and Stranger in the Alps was one of them. I also picked up a copy of Better Oblivion Community Centre, which is the most ridiculous band name I've ever heard. <laughs> Um, which is her working with Conor Oberst. Um, and you pointed out when I posted my little c collection of albums that I also needed to pick up the Boy Genius EP, which I've yep. since listened to. And, oh my God, like, I'm, I'm a sucker for sad, yeah. melancholic music. You know, it's... it's it. I don't know what it is that I, I delight in, in listening to sad songs on repeat, but... Yeah. The Boy Genius EP is amazing, and that's her and Julian Baker. Julian, it's it's there's there's three of them. It's um, Julian Baker, Phoebe Bridges, and Lucy Dacus, because that EP then gives you another two branches to go down and, and get obsessed with with both of them. Uh, well, I've I've only just recently got into Julian Baker because yeah, you know that thing when you just leave a, a streaming device playing, yeah, and it goes. Well, you seem to be enjoying this depressing music. We've suggest you listen to this depressing music, <laughs> and and that's so. Like a couple of songs down the line, this this track called Tokyo comes on, which is a fairly yeah. recent release for Julian Baker. Weirdly, yeah. it isn't on the album she's just released, uh, unless it's some sort of secret track. I don't know, but um, but that track Tokyo, that's the new obsession recently. That's the one that I'm listening to on repeat because it's I'm, just so beautifully layered. And I, I really like the fact that she's got a track called Tokyo, and Phoebe's got a crack. Uh, crack. Phoebe's got a track called Kyoto. Yeah, I, I, um, I thought the same. So uh, perhaps uh, Lucy on her new album will have a track called Osaka or something else. There's, yeah, there's a nice little synchronicity there. Um, yeah. So Phoebe Bridges just seems to. She, she she's definitely got a lot of momentum at the moment. She got Grammy yeah. nominations and. Rightly so, because the album is a beautiful masterpiece by someone who's very, yeah. very early on in their career. Um, but she just seems to be this kind of indie darling at the moment, collaborating with all these people, but I don't hold it against her. You know, like when someone is everywhere all of a sudden. Oh, yeah, you... absolutely deserved as well, because she's, she's utterly fantastic. She's an amazing songwriter. And, uh, I mean, this... This particular track, it's um, the first track of, of her debut album. Um, and it's, I 
so the the Better Oblivion Community Centre record um, was announced the week in between. So um, I appeared on um, Pick Disc podcast talking about a Bright Eyes record mm-hmm. the week before. There'd been um, another guest on there talking about Stranger in the Alps, which I hadn't heard yet. And then in between us recording both of these um, episodes, the two people had announced that they were doing a collaboration album together. So I checked that out, but I'd still not heard Stranger in the Alps. And it's one of the first time I heard this song and the rest of the album subsequently. Um, It's one of those things that's like seared into your head like the moment people found out that, you know, JFK was shot. Obviously not us, because that was years before we were born, but, you know, it's, it's one of those memories that I'll always have. Um, Ian, my uh, co-host on uh, both of my other podcasts, um, we went to Poland for his stag do, and um, it was the f- first time I'd been away from uh, my wife and my daughter since my daughter was born. Um, and... Uh, had a brilliant time there, but at that point, I was, mental health wasn't brilliant, and I'd not quite got medication sorted, and I was a bit all over the fucking place. And uh, we're on the plane on the way back, and I was a little bit emotional already. And I just put this this album on, thinking, oh, I'll check this out. And this track absolutely fucking floored me. Um, is absolutely perfect song from the first time I heard it I knew it was one of my favourite songs that I will ever hear because um, the the guitar on it it's it's got quite a weird sort of muted um, guitar sound um, they, there's like muted sort of strum chords in a really weird tune and then you've got there's like a baritone guitar that sounds like the, the sort of Quinn Peaks music in there Mm-hmm. Um, there's like really nice violin parts. The lyrics are amazing. There's like references to uh, uh, when Lemmy died and when when uh, Bowie died and stuff like that, which obviously hits pretty hard. And it's just utterly, utterly perfect. It's easily my favourite song released in the last decade by a, by a very long way because it's fantastic. So this is, which is Smoke Signals. Okay, so we reluctantly move on from Phoebe Bridgers and now we're listening to Olufella Olusegan Oladotan Ransom Kuti or Fella Kuti and Africa 70. There we go. Uh, <laughs> I told you he was a music nerd. Um, so <laughs> you, you, you are, you always have been and continue to be a source of music that... You're, you're one of those people who will quite often suggest things from left field that I would never have found otherwise because your yeah, taste yeah. is very broad. Yeah, and this is music. A, this is a very good example of that. So how do you stumble upon this artist? Uh, right, I grew up listening to a lot of African music um, from my dad. Uh, my, my dad is a big fan of... Uh, there's a, a band called um, Osibisa. Who are, um, they're actually all uh, based in London, but they were um, a lot of um, sort of West African musicians 
that all got together and, and formed uh, in the 70s. Um, stuff like uh, Tamuni Diabate and um, Orchestra Baobab and stuff like that. Um, later on, stuff like Tenari went. Um, and it, Fella was the basically the absolute godfather of Afrobeat. He started off in, um, he was a jazz musician at first and then uh, moved on into, the, there was a sort of African pop music called High Life in the 60s. It um, was really sort of um, quite upbeat and uh, quite cheerful. It was, it was basically taking bits of um, like Calypso and stuff like that um, and mixing it with, with um, jazz and, and rock and pop. And, uh, but then in the uh, early 70s, Fela Kuti, um basically invented Afrobeat, which was taking um, the, the African music that they were making with, with like high life and stuff like that and mixing it with like really hard funk like um, James Brown and that kind of thing. And uh, the music's absolutely amazing. It's like... Most of his albums are like uh, one song per side and they're like 15 minutes long and then the singing doesn't come in until like seven minutes in and stuff like that. But as, aside from the music, his life story is the most fascinating, amazing story that you've ever heard. Yeah, whereas most musicians' um, life story is like, you, you read their autobiographies and it'll be like, uh, band gets famous, takes a load of drugs, splits up and, and dies. Um, Fela Kuti was at war with his government. Um, basically, uh, the, the Nigerian um, government in the 70s were basically like a military, dicta uh, military dictatorship. Um, and he didn't like them very much. So he used to write songs protesting against them, which meant that they would retaliate uh, with force. Um, it's basically, he, he owned um, a building in Nigeria, um, which was like a, a hotel with a studio and, and various stuff like that. And he, he moved all these musicians and, and friends and, and wives, which he had quite a few at, at the time, um, all into this. And then they declared it an independent republic called the Kalakuta Republic. Um, there was like various, the, the army weren't, obviously weren't happy they got a printing press in there and they used to print up um, like propaganda leaflets against the government um, and get like local kids to surreptitiously hand them out to people and stuff like that and um, there, was, there was an incident where the government um, planted a load of cannabis on him um, so that they could arrest him uh, while in the process of arresting him he ate it all um, and then basically was in jail and had to wait for nature to take its course and wrote a song about that called Expensive Shit. Um, <laughs> which is utterly fantastic. Um, but yeah, so they, they couldn't convict him because they couldn't prove that he got the drugs because they were in his system. Um, but then in 1977, he released this particular track, um, which was really... Um, aggressively anti the government and the army. Um, it was basically 
implying that they were automatons and, and couldn't think for themselves and that kind of thing. They were just following orders. Um, and it was a massive hit in Nigeria. Um, the, the, the people absolutely loved it and the government felt very threatened. So they retaliated by sending 1,000 soldiers to the Calicuta Republic to basically attack it. So these soldiers turned up, um, burned it to the ground, uh, beat the shit out of Fella and, and his, his friends and family. Uh, they actually threw his mother out of an upstairs window. Um, his his mum was, she was a massive um, like feminist icon. In um, even before um, Fella was famous, she was well known as a sort of philosopher and, and that kind of thing in, in Nigeria. They threw her out of an upstairs window, which meant she was in a coma for a while and eventually died in hospital. Um, a year later, um, Fella basically delivered her coffin to the um, president of Nigeria's um, offices uh, and they wrote a song called Coffin for Head of State about that but he's um, we, we did an episode um, of Widig Music about Fela Kuti a while ago um, so I did quite a lot of research about it then and in doing my research there's a, a guy called Olu who I work with um, who is from Nigeria and I was talking to him about it because obviously being a white guy from Tamworth it's not my culture and I don't know that much about it other than the little bits that I've read in um, websites and, and the music press and, and various things like that and uh, so I spoke to Olu and he was like, yeah, I know fella. He's like, um, everyone in, he was telling me that basically everybody knows who Fela Kuti is in Nigeria. He's basically their version of Robin Hood. Uh, and they've got like, there's, there's legends about him and stuff like that. Um, and it's, you know, he's, he's not around anymore. He died of um, uh, age-related illness in the, uh, in the 90s, I think it was. But, um, his, uh, his, his, um, his sons are in various different bands. There's um, Sean Cootie and uh, Femi Cootie. Uh, Femi is particularly quite well known. He's played Glastonbury loads and stuff like that. So they're sort of continuing it and uh, massively inf influential on so much music that's come, come since. And Tony Allen, who's the, the drummer in Africa 70 with him, has worked alone with um, various people. Like um, he, He's worked with Gorillaz and, and Damon Albarn quite a lot. He's in, he was the drummer in The Good, uh, the, Good the Bad and the Queen um, with Damon Albarn and, and Paul Simonon. Um, and, yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's a, a style of music that not a lot of people know about, um, but it's so good that people need to listen to it. And, there needs to be a really good movie made about his life because, uh, you know, Queen are all right and stuff and Elton John's all right, but their stories aren't anywhere near as interesting as uh, as fellas. So a, a fella, proper good fella cootie biopic with a, a decent budget would be absolutely amazing. It'd be the best music film ever. Okay, so this track is? Uh, this track is Zombie. Ready, 
All right, so moving on from Fella Cutie, who's up next? Uh, next, we've got Toots and the Maytals. So uh, this one's a little bit lighter. <laughs> There's not as much of a, of, a, of a heavy story to go with this one. Um, I had a big sort of reggae phase in the early 90s um, before I properly developed who I was musically. Um, you know, I'd, at, at that point, I'd not really got much into um, rock and, and grunge and, and metal and stuff like that. So uh, I went through a phase of buying loads of, um, like, the 100% reggae compilations and stuff like that. And the, that, now that's what I call reggae. Um, and this track was on nearly all of them because it's great. Um, th this was, uh, I, I bought it in about 93. Uh, there was a reggae compilation, I think, that, that I got with this and I've always loved it. Um, Clash did a brilliant cover of it on uh, Super Black Mountain Clash. <laughs> and uh, the, the bass is... I mean, with, with all reggae, the bass is what makes it, but the, the bass line is proper uplifting, and it, it's one of those tracks that you can just put on and it's instantly summer, you know. And, uh, yeah, I've, I, I actually have it on a playlist that I've been listening yeah. to recently called Morning, which is like yeah. a purposely sort of funky and optimistic playlist. Setting up for the day. Yeah, yeah. Some, some, of it, some of it's just kind of like humorous, some of it's really upbeat and catchy, and funky uh, but it's yeah and it it, it kind of sits I actually associate this tune a great deal with a band called Tempting Rosie who've since yes. kind of renamed themselves Kyoko but Tempting yeah. Rosie used to run a gig at the Adam and Eve named yeah. after this song and yeah, yeah. I, I was invited to, to play in, you know in, in my sort of former identity as a one man band uh, a few times and they were always so welcoming and hospitable. And I ended up getting them a booking at a, at a festival um, off yeah. the back of all of that. But whenever I hear this track, I can see them playing it live. I can see yeah. Ewan, who was the tiniest member of the band, playing, stood on the top of the bar in the Adam and Eve, playing trumpet at the end yeah, of the yeah. night. Um, so I, I've got a real sort of fond association with this track. Yeah. Um, and it's it's a it's a kind of track that can be just dropped into a set by a DJ and it completely changes the atmosphere in the room. Yeah. And it will make people get up and dance. Yeah, definitely. And it for me it's like there's not much not much better than listening to this uh on a you know hot summer's day at a festival with a you know glass of uh, festival lemonade. Uh other people would probably have drinks like beer, apparently, but I don't drink, so I wouldn't. I'd have lemonade at Glastonbury, because that is my thing, man. Uh, I'm just gutted I never got to see Toots at Glastonbury uh, before he died. There was, uh, he used to play fairly regularly at Glastonbury, and every time I've been there when he was there, there was something else that I'd wanted to see on another stage, and I thought, mm. I'll catch Toots next time. And, Unfortunately, he died last year, so uh, it, it's always able to do that now. It's always the dilemma, isn't it? That sort yeah. of who do I want to see more? I and 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 I think it was Glastonbury, where yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Glastonbury where I realised a band that I really wanted to see were playing kind of last minute, and I sprinted across the festival and caught like the last three songs. 
yeah. I managed to hear the song that I wanted to hear them play. Um, but it's yeah, it's a it's a quandary at most festivals. The closest yeah. thing I got to see in Toots was uh, I saw Jimmy Cliff at, at Glastonbury and it had been rainy but when he played the sun came out and, oh awesome and and the, the really weird thing is we were re- enjoying the set and then me and my then girlfriend looked to our left and we were stood next to the Evises we like oh cool holy crap <laughs> very odd awesome so uh, what, was, was that when Jimmy Cliff had put out there was uh, I think it, I think the record's called Rebirth he did an um, album that was produced by Tim Armstrong from Rancid. I and think that a, might be, uh, yeah. It's got a cover of Ruby Soho, I think it is, on there. Uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a brilliant album. Really, really good. But, yeah, like you, know, like you I never got to see Toots and the Metals, but yeah. which, which track have you picked? I have picked Pressure Drop. All right, moving on from Toots and the Maytales, who's up next? Up next we have The Cure. It was only a matter of time. Well, they've got to be on there, haven't they? Uh, The Cure are one of my favourite bands in the absolute universe, as anybody that knows me knows. Um, This particular track is the number one best pop song ever written. Um, It's... The, the way it builds up line by line and just adds more things and then until it's all in it, different interlocking melodies and stuff. Um, and it's the song that The Cure were playing at Hammersmith Apollo uh, when I asked my wife to marry me. Oh, uh, you smooth so, uh, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> a lot cheaper than, uh, than your method. <laughs> yeah, I... Yeah. Like, I, I did go... I'll have to tell the story at some point, but I, I did go some length to make a grand gesture. Um, and I've got jokes about how uh, I realise you can keep it simple and the gesture can be just as big. So it's, uh, yeah, kind of screwed myself in that yep. one. But um, what a beautiful... I think, I think with, with, with proposals... It doesn't have to be a big moment. It just needs to be the yeah. right moment, and that's exactly. definitely what you've what you've done there. Yeah, I mean, we we both knew that we were going to get married. We'd, we'd already talked about it, basically. Mm-hmm. We just hadn't officially, um, you know, hadn't officially asked her. Um, and it was, I was thinking about it the whole time leading up to the gig, and I was like, yeah, when when if if they play just like heaven. You know, then then that will be the moment, and they did. So, I mean, they, they play at most gigs, so it was a fairly safe bet um, that, that they would do. Uh, we also had, um, at, at our wedding, we had uh, there's a, a band called the Watson Twins, who did an album with, uh, with Jenny Lewis. But their album on their own, they did a cover of this, which is a sort of slower, sort of all-country kind of version of it. And we had this as our uh, first dance um, at the wedding. And... Uh, I spent most of it, basically, uh, the, the venue where the wedding was had a massive big window 
um, at the front, um, which the, the sun was blazing through. And I spent the entire of the first dance trying to manoeuvre us round so that the sun was in Helen's eyes. Um, <laughs> because I am a bellend. <laughs> what a freak! Your wedding was great, though, because yeah. it was this... It was this musically incestuous affair where yeah. you and your good lady wife were playing music in a, in a band ensemble yeah. at one point and then she would jump out and another person would jump in. Um, I guess did with, uh, I guess you would call it structures, but playing kind of funky wedding <laughs> tunes and we did... Uh, they, they just call it wedding when it's they're doing a wedding gig. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> And it is a. It was regulate. Um, yeah, yeah it was, Warren G. Warren G. Um, which is yeah a peculiar thing. Uh, and then <laughs> and then I I ended up doing a, a, a bit of. I think at that point that was the first time I'd played live. Yes, it, it, you'd not played for quite a while, so I was a bit nervous about asking you. And I was quite happy when you said yes. Oh mate, I was <laughs> I was always gonna say yes. Uh, it just meant I had to like plug everything in and dust it off and actually try and remember how to play a set. I mean, and when, and when you consider like I don't have any of the songs written down. Yeah. It's you know because basically for, for anyone who for anyone listening who, who who doesn't know my previous musical existence, I was basically playing several instruments into a loop pedal and I layer it up and then sort of sing live vocals over the top and I would I would loop vocals in the chorus um, into harmonies and that is something that you kind of you kind of learn the structure as you like as you write the tune yeah. so it's like it's it's like learning a, a dance routine up until a certain point and then adding another move and but then you don't play those routines so like I, w- yeah. I would have six or seven of these sort of routines that would build a song uh, some of them are covers that uh, that are quite entertaining to play, and uh, I hope they're entertaining to watch. But some of them are like an original sort of compositions. So I then have to relearn or re- or, or re-remember the sequence of where the layers yeah. are added and onto what track on the loop pedal. Um, but it was lots of fun once I got it nailed I'm, down. I'm really not looking forward to having to do all that again when I start having to do gigs again after the lockdowny type stuff finishes. So I've got a couple of loop songs in, in my cover set um, that I've not played for well over a year now and uh, I'm hoping I haven't lost entirely. <laughs> I'm sh- I'm, they'll, they'll, they'll come back into focus. You, it, yeah. just, it just, you know, just takes a few, a few attempts and it kind of yeah. slowly but surely slots back into place. Okay, so... You've already said it, but which which Cure song are we using in this section? Just Like Heaven. Okay, so moving on from The Cure and Just Like Heaven, what are we listening to now? Uh, up next, we are listening to Lanterns on the Lake. Okay, so th- th- this is this is a band that I had no awareness of 
prior to you sending your mix over. So tell me about this. Yeah, so, so Lanterns on the Lake are a uh, band from, I think they're from Newcastle. Um, they're, they're definitely from the northeast. Um, they, uh, they've been going um, about 10 years. Yeah, because they're, they're putting out a 10th anniversary of their, their debut album later this year. Um, uh, I first saw them um, supporting um, a band called Low um, at the Glee Club. Um, and they were, they're, they're sort of, there's like post-rock elements in there, but they're, they're sort of a bit folky, but a bit shoegazy. Um, it's sort of, it's, it's more sort of sad music with a, a female singer, but it's a bit, little bit more epic. Um, and this is a song from their second record, which is pretty significant to me because it's the only song that I've never, I, <laughs> because it's the only song that I've ever named a human after. Because uh, my daughter is named after this song. Um, basically, there's uh, she's specifically named after the um, instrumental guitar bit towards the end, uh, about three minutes in. Uh, I, I always avoid calling it a guitar solo because that cheapens it. It's better than that. It's just a fucking beautiful bit of music. Um, it's not the guitar is just showing off. It's an integral, emotional part of the song. You know that's why I don't like calling it a solo. Um, it's one of the most perfect pieces of music I've ever heard. Um, there's like the, the guitar bit that, particularly that that bit at the end, there's like all these sort of almost out of control fretboard slides, and he's like going absolutely mental with the, the Bigsby whammy bar, and um, it sounds like the the melody's sort of like warping and, and melting, but it's still melodic and, and beautiful. And uh, yeah, it's. They um, Lanterns on the Lake got quite a lot of uh, press last year because their their album um, Spooks the Herd was nominated for, for the uh, Mercury. Mm-hmm. Um, so they got a lot more attention than they'd had previously, which is great. They they deserve it. They're absolutely phenomenal band. So um, this track is. So this this is a track from their uh, their second album and it's called Elodie. So moving on from Lanterns on the Lake, who's up now? Next, we have Life Without Buildings. There's a new band who are getting a lot of hype at the moment. Have have you heard uh, Dry Cleaning? No. Okay, Dry Cleaning are... They're brilliant. They're really, really good. Um, There's a a track called uh, Scratch Card Lanyard which has got a really good video. It's definitely worth worth checking out. And they're, uh, they're signed to 4AD Records and they're getting loads of hype. They're, I expect that end of this year it will be on loads of the um, best of the year um, polls for, for loads of organisations and you know, magazines and record shops and stuff. I don't want to take anything away from them. They're really good. But 
they have stolen that entire sound from Life Without Buildings. It's sort of um, melodic post-punk um, guitar, bass and drums. And then the vocals are a female not singer. Basically, she's... Um, it, it's... I don't know even if you know... I don't even know if you'd call it poetry. It's sort of spoken word, um, but fairly nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Um, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, dry cleaning do that, but she's she's got a really sort of detached um, board sound. So okay. how, how she's, uh, you know, delivering the, these lyrics. Whereas um, Sue Tompkins from Life Without Buildings, despite the fact that the lyrics mean absolutely nothing at all, they're completely nonsensical, just like word salad. Um, but she conveys so much emotion that, you know, she, there's, there's more emotion in these nonsensical lyrics than there is in, you know, 12 other bands that are writing heartfelt you know, love songs and stuff like that. Um, so I, I first heard this on, um, there was a, a Rough Trade uh, put out a uh, Rough Trade post-punk compilation in about 2003, 2004-ish. Um, and among all the stuff like um, Gang of Four and uh, the Future Heads and stuff like that, it had got this, and uh, this particular track on there, and it blew me away. It was... Um, I immediately started to try, trying to track their stuff down because they'd split up. Um, they'd just put out this record on uh, a small label called Tugboat and it was out of press already um, by the time I wanted to get it. Um, managed to find it on CD and then um, managed to track down all of their singles and stuff like that. They put out a live album a few years later and got that. But um, this got um, a vinyl reissue on Record Store Day five or six years ago and uh, I got it then and it's such a good album um, there's like her way of delivering the lyrics there's like sort of a sense of um, like vulnerable, vulnerability in there that it almost seems like um, she's trying to express something but she has completely lost control of all of her words and that's why it's just coming out with you know, random strangeness. Um, but yeah, it, it's people that do love, do, people that know the record absolutely love it. It's a, it's a proper, like, cult record. Um, I can remember that there was an article in Mojo years ago where um, the singer from Maximo Park was going on about how this is his favourite album ever. Um, and it's, I just hope that with, with all of the hope that, uh, with all of the hype that, um, Try cleaning again at the moment. Um, that you know, uh, life without buildings gets some of that hype as well, and people go back and discover that and buy that record because it's so good. Okay, so this track is uh, this track is the lean over.
All right, so moving on from Life Without Buildings, who's up next? Thought we'd take a bit of a left turn. <laughs> uh, I've not had any um, ridiculous pop on here yet. It's all a bit muso, so uh, this is a track by Kesha. Well, this, I mean, to be fair, last week's episode was very pop driven. Yeah. But uh, yeah, this, I was not expecting this from you. <laughs> I love pop music. I've got, uh, I've got a playlist that I listen to loads with, um, like, you know, if ever I'm a bit stressed or something like that, I've got this, this playlist that's just called Pop um, that's got loads of, like, Katy Perry and, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a massive Taylor Swift fan and, and stuff like that. Um, but Kesha is sort of I wanted to represent the side of me that loves like ridiculous sparkly pop bangers and and also the sort of experimental electronic stuff that I dig as well because this has got a lot of that in there too uh, Kesha is she's amazing um, I had a ticket finally to go and see her last year and then obviously it got cancelled and I was absolutely gutted. Um, Kesha doesn't get anywhere near the amount of respect that she deserves. She's, she's seen as this sort of like airhead throwaway um, like pop singer. Because she sings about sort of partying and, you know, um, sort of sleazy rock and roll, but in a very sparkly pop way. Um, she's actually really, really intelligent and, and talented. She's been, um, she writes or co-writes all of her tracks, um, which not every pop singer does. And uh, she's also written for like Britney Spears and Ariana Grande and even Alice Cooper. <laughs> um, she's like, you know, she's collaborated with with Iggy Pop on some of her records and stuff like that as well. And um, some of the guys from uh, Eagles of Death Metal were on um, one of her records as well. And uh, she was going to do an album with... Um, there, there was a record that she was working on with the Flaming Lips um, that was going to be called Lipsha, which I... It's like one of those great lost albums. They, they ended up putting out... There was one track, um, which was almost a... It was like a cover but with completely changed lyrics of uh, 1969 by the Stooges um, which is that is that's what I want to hear Kesha doing that's awesome um, get her doing the proper fucking sleazy Stooges style punk band that'd be awesome but this you know this, this track also for, for the um, the glitchy um, electronic side of stuff that I dig there, there's this this breakdown towards the end of the song that sounds like Window Licker by Aphex Twin. Um, it's it's completely glitched up and, and garbled and fucked up and sounds amazing. And uh, I just really dig it. Okay, so this is? Uh, this is Warrior. Okay, so moving on from Kesha, we find ourselves at your final track. But before we get stuck into that, for the benefit of anyone who's not heard of your podcast before, why don't you tell us about those? Okay, uh, so I've got two music podcasts, uh, We Dig Music and Free With This Month's Issue. 
Uh, we Dig Music is uh, me, uh, my co-hosts Ian and Tracy. And uh, at the moment, what we're doing is each month we're picking a year. So we've recently done uh, 1968, uh, where we each choose 10 songs and then we secretly vote on what our favourites are and then find out what order they're in. So it's like Top of the Pops. While uh, while we're actually doing the episode, which is it's fun because we get really competitive and uh, slag off each other's songs and and that kind of thing. Uh, and then my other podcast is Free with This Month's Issue, which is me and Ian again, uh, plus a different guest each month. Uh, Mr. Driver has joined us on one of the previous episodes. Uh, and then then basically what we do is it's it's all about free CDs from magazines like Kerrang, Enemy, Q, that sort of thing, um, where we listen to one of those old CDs and find out the horrors and delights within. So uh, we go through it and the best episodes are the ones where there's a mixture of absolutely brilliant stuff and utter, utter shite. Uh, (laughs) We we don't generally hold back on it. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Well, no, uh, because you know, you're, you know, you're, you're very sort of musically critical and Ian Clark is an opinionated nobed, <laughs> for lack of a better word. I mean, don't get me wrong. Fair. We we both love him dearly, but but he <laughs> but but forthright is a diplomatic way of describing him. Um, you know, yeah, that's to fair. be to to be fair, both both podcasts are very entertaining because of his gobshitery, um, <laughs> but. <laughs> I, I had a lot of fun. We we had technical issues that day as well because we did. Um, I, what what I can't remember what platform you were using, but it took uh, me a while. Zencaster. Yeah, yeah, it took me a while to log in to the point where it it all started working, and because <laughs> I'd, I'd I'd I think I was getting to the end of my tether with technology, I it, it sounded like I had some sort of Tourette's <laughs> when I finally got on to the the session. I mean, both of us sound like that when we're recording, anyway. Particularly if Morrissey gets mentioned or uh, or Liam Gallagher. Yes, there uh, was a there was a, a fair few C bombs dropped yeah. in that episode, and it was it was <laughs> it was entertaining yeah, for it. So. Don't let your grand listen to it unless she doesn't mind swearing. Um, okay, but yeah, you could so you can find both of them on podcast providers by searching them by name. Because you know how to listen to podcasts; you're listening to one now. Well, um, we'll, we'll that, we will place links in the show notes of this episode. That as well. And point yeah, people. And it's on uh, weedingpodcast.com is the website where we stick them all on there. Wicked. Okay, cool. So, who are we listening to for your last track? For the last track, we are listening to Mogwai. Again, not a surprise. <laughs> no, along with The Cure, Mogwai have been one of my favourite bands for almost 25 years now. Um, I got into them in uh, 1997 when uh, this particular record came out. Uh, I first heard it on a uh, Total Guitar CD. Uh, There was a a track called Tracy on there. And uh, this particular track that we're we're listening to is is my favourite song that they've ever done. Um, It's amazing live every time. Um, They did the recorded version um, as Barry Burns playing flute on it, which uh, he doesn't tend to do live these days because he decided that the flute is not a manly instrument. Um, but he did, he, the first couple of times I saw them do it live, he did still play flute then. What, you mean um, You mean he didn't want to look like he was filleting a robot? 
Well, no, apparently not. <laughs> he does often sound like he is, though, because he's singing through a vocoder a lot of the time. So, well, there but... is that. <laughs> but it's uh, the one one particular time that stands out that I saw him do this live um, was uh, they played uh, the Albert Hall in uh, 2008, I think it was, um, and they played Tracy for the first time live, which was the first song I heard by them. Um, they hadn't been able to play it live because it needs like a 90 second reverb or something like that. It's like ridiculously long reverb that, that they have to layer everything up with. Um, so they, they'd finally got the technology available to be able to do that live. And then they played that and then transitioned straight into this song. And it is the absolute pinnacle of all human achievement was, was that transition. Uh, it was, you know, Sistine Chapel can fuck right off, uh, you know. Uh, that particular moment of music by Mogwai was amazing. Um, and they, they play this song at nearly every gig, and they should, because it's fucking great. Um, I want it played at my funeral, but uh, it's 18 minutes long, so when I uh, I did a podcast um, called uh, Life's Milestones with um, my mate Mark Adams a while back, where you talk about like, births, marriages, and funerals and stuff and uh, I said I want this song played and he's like you can have to book a double slot if you do that um, <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah, okay so this track is uh, this track is Mogwai Fear Satan cool thanks so much for coming on man I've really enjoyed this I've enjoyed it all three times we've done this episode <laughs> it's absolutely it's been funny each time So that concludes this week's episode. I had a blast catching up with Colin. We spoke for a lot longer than the episode you've just listened to and I look forward to catching up with him in person, hopefully with a guitar in hand so we can have a bit of a jam. Uh, As I mentioned earlier, there are links in the show notes to both of Colin's podcasts, uh, Free With This Month's Issue and We Dig Music, but I'd also like to take the opportunity to point you towards his own musical output. I've played several shows with Colin over the years and some of his songs have stuck with me for going on 20 years at this point, so definitely check out his band Driven Like The Snow. I'll also link to that in the show notes. As always, we've kept the music discussed played below the conversation because I believe that all musicians should be paid for what they do. So if you'd like to listen to Colin's mixtape in full, you can find it on Apple Music or Spotify by clicking the link in the show notes. But for now, I'll see you next week for another episode of Mixtapes with Mike.